0: Welcome to Beer and Gear with Felix and Wes, brought to you by Highway Marketing.
1: So, talk to—we had a a Pat uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day thing toast yesterday, and uh, he said that that you're doing kombucha, like a a kombucha thing now.
2: Yep, it's kind of the—I don't even think you guys can get it. Uh, I think it's uh, a San Diego thing so um i don't know but yeah uh like I a got, special
0: kombucha that you only get I got two. Uh, uh,
2: no it's a hard kombucha it's high seven percent oh oh
0: oh huh. i was gonna go get a, a soft kombucha but i'm gonna go get a beer then in that
2: case <laughs> yeah uh no it's uh it's called hard kombucha so um and i like i said i don't think it exists outside of southern california
1: huh I'll have to look around, you know, I like kombucha. I just don't drink it that often,
2: you know, yeah. but I well, would you, never, you would, if you put 7% alcohol in it.
1: Well, you know, I've had kombucha with vodka in it before, you know, yeah. so that's, that's definitely been a thing. Uh, but, you know, I've never seen like, I guess, you know, it's like a hard cider, but it's a hard kombucha.
2: Yeah. There's- I don't really drink regular kombucha. Ah. Um, almost never. So there is, a,
0: there is a kombucha that I've had. I, I usually have the regular one, but they have one the same flavor, but it has a black label
2: mm. and they actually
0: card you to get it. Uh, first yeah. time I had it was in Florida before a dealer meeting for breakfast. And they carded me and I'm like, whatever, but minimal alcohol. And we drank it really quick, a coworker and I, because we went to a meeting and we walk into the meeting. I'm like, I feel really good right now. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just like that little itch that you're like, yeah, there's alcohol in that thing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, all kombucha has a little bit, but um, these well, this are- one has a black label
0: and it actually they yeah. don't allow it. You have to be ID, would but it's not alcoholic. It's just you have to be yeah. over 21.
2: Um, yeah, because it has. It. Yeah, it has enough. That- yeah,
0: it's been aged a little bit longer, I guess. If you yeah. leave it in the car long enough, they'll get you drunk.
2: Yeah, well, this one, as you can see, 7% AB. Wow. Oh, yeah,
1: that's so- crazy. Yeah, I am. It's I am partaking. Super delicious. I am partaking of the Three Nations Imperial Milk Stout, the uh, Mexican chocolate version. Wow! So,
2: nice. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's good stuff made here in uh, in Carrollton. It's eight point three, but
2: still. That's yeah, that's stout. Um, yeah, one of the big reasons why I like this, I'm kind of anti-sugar. I don't really have much sugar in my life, and mm-hmm. with the kombucha process. Um, there's no sugar left at the end. So there's literally zero um, dietary sugar in. So I can have six of them and not feel bad about it. So, yeah. I probiotics, do too. Yeah. Yeah. I know? Yeah. Probably way more than I need putting down <laughs> six of these every night. I'm freaking uh, probiotic up, man. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on
0: Voodoo Ranger IPA. Yeah. Copy that. Yeah, New
1: Belgium. So. Yeah, I don't. You know, it's funny as we do these these beer and gears, and I I hardly I like beer, but I hardly ever drink beer for the same reason. Like I I try to keep sugars out of my life as much as I can. You know, so I drink whiskey with water. That's usually my drink of choice, and I know that my body converts that into sugar and everything. But it's I'm not putting processed sugar into my body. You know, so I'm kind of in that same boat.
0: I've been I've been wanting to text uh, talk to friends that are beer snubs so I don't become that guy that every call is like I got a Miller Light, I got (laughs) a Coors Light, like come on come on man just give me something different, yeah (laughs) because I don't have I'm not gonna turn into a beer snub because of this I'm trying Mm. not
2: to anyways. Well, this is
0: two days in a row that we've had to drink on the job so.
2: uh... Well, I've got beers in my fridge. If, if I, you know, if my kombucha is going to screw up your program, I've got some, (laughs) I've got some real, like I've got a a 10 barrel cucumber sour in my, in my fridge and some other stuff that I do still drink, but, um, you know, you guys probably both remember I was like a big sour drinker and I still am. But when they started, when these kombuchas started popping up all over San Diego, it's, it started here and, um, they're just so damn good. It's just... Uh, so we're already good.
0: recording. You already screwed up beer and gear with kombucha and gear. So we're good. <laughs> right. just, just keep going. Yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll keep it going.
1: So, all
0: right.
1: So Michael, um, I know we've talked a little bit about this, but uh, like, how did you get... Nice. Um, <laughs> how did you get into this business? Like, where did that start for you? you
2: know? Oh, boy. Um, I did it kind of the the old fashioned way, um, started out as a aspiring musician. And when I was, I started playing in bands when I was in early middle school and, um, kept that going and, you know, thought I wanted to be famous. And then the more I saw what famous people's lives looked like, I thought, no, this is going to suck. So I started wearing like outrageous costumes and stuff like that to, uh, if by some miracle that that we had a hit song that i was not going to be recognizable anyway obviously that never happened i'm not sorry about that but um when i was in bands uh it's very difficult there's a lot of comp there's a lot of competition in a local market for gigs and things like that and i did a lot of research and i looked at you know bands that i liked watching and you know shows that were on, on music videos and things like that. And I, it became evident that production value really meant something and that, you know, you weren't just going to, you weren't going to take over the world by just going up there with your Marshall stacks and your drum kit and, you know, a, a crap PA on a stick and blow people away, you know? So I started looking into, you know, how do the pros do it? And, you know, what, what do I need to do? So I actually, Um, when I was like, uh, 16 or 17 years old, I worked, I started working when I was 13 and I saved my money. And when I was right around 16, I think I bought myself floor wedges and a mixer, um, and some speakers, um, so that my band could have monitors. Um, and then that was kind of like the, the beginning of it, you know, um,
1: 16, Really? Yeah. You start doing monitors at sixteen. Yeah, Man, for you myself. Do what you do.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, I started doing it for myself, and I just, you know, I'm. It, back then, obviously, was almost completely self-taught. Nobody gave up their secrets. There was very little books. There was no YouTube. There was none of that stuff. So I just learned by by fire and by trial and error, mm-hmm. and I got relatively good at it. And um, people would ask to borrow my gear for their band, and they asked me to help them, you know, kind of. Uh, low-tech consulting position, you know, where I was just friends and we would just sit around like they'd buy me a six-pack and I would show them how to solder stuff or, you know, whatever. I'd fix their amps for them. And um, that rotated into becoming house person at some really disgusting clubs. And then, you know, I did that for a while and then started doing regional touring Um, and then gave up my bands altogether and was just doing sound stuff. Um, but I was still working, um, one or two day jobs, um, in addition to doing sound stuff at night. Um, and then at one point I just realized that, uh, I wanted to do it full time and I didn't want to work, uh, regular air quotes, regular jobs anymore. Um, so I packed up my crap and I went to, uh, Arizona. And uh, there I was lucky enough to um, study with some great people. And I ended up um, through a mutual friend becoming uh, a mentee slash assistant to uh, Robert Scoville. And um, I worked for him for a bit and we got to be very good friends. And he decided to retire. I think it was like his fourth out of seven times that he's retired from the industry. So um, which I thought was ridiculous, but I'm now in my third time of trying to get out of the industry. So, you know, I, it's, it makes sense. Um, so he was, he said, I can't take you any further. So, uh, I got you a job at sound image in Southern California, um, pack your crap and go. And, uh, so I did, I, we talked on a Saturday and Monday morning. I was in California. Um, I just drove out found a place and, um, just moved all of my stuff. And, um, that, that really got me, you know, into the, that changed things a lot, you know, got me into the, the larger scale events. And, um, I learned a lot with that company Had a lot of great mentors and, um, did a lot of really good tours with them and stayed with them for many years. Um, and then started branching out on my own. And, um, then when I went into production management, there's really no space for that in a, in a vendor or any kind of company. It's in, it's a self-contracting gig. So, um, you know, I left all that behind. I'm still friendly with them. I'm still friendly with, you know, sound vendors all over the world, but um, you know, as, as an independent. So that's kind of the path that I, that I've taken over time. So.
1: Yeah. That sounds very, very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, I think we all started off with that. You know, I'm going to play guitar and be in a rock band and, you know, and eventually you're like, well, the sound guy's the only dude that gets paid every night, you know? So yep. it ends up working and out if that you're- way
2: if the band you're with fails, there's always another one. So, you know, and when the record cycles ends, ends, there's always another one. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to be able to just move from, from one thing to the next, you know Um, it's yeah, it's comforting. When I, you know, obviously I've never been famous. I don't want to be, but I've been famous adjacent for a lot of my life and man, it's tough. Like the people are like, Oh, it's gotta be so great. You know, you got all the money and the fame. It's really hard. Um, I, I wouldn't wish it on an enemy. So
1: I always make the joke that, uh, I, I think Danny Elfman has the greatest job ever because he gets to consistently make amazing music. He's invited to all the cool parties. Everybody that's cool knows him, but he can walk into Walmart and nobody will recognize him at
2: all. You know? So
1: he has the best job.
2: And so. what, a, no. what a monster badass that guy is, too. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Composer, in producer, musician. I mean, he's the whole package. You know?
1: Yes, and can walk down the street and not get mobbed. So yeah. that's amazing. Well,
0: there's a bunch of nerds walking around waiting for him.
2: <laughs> right. uh, so what,
0: both of you guys were mostly monitor guys, correct? Yeah. I think. Um, still am. And still are. Now, the... I always find it interesting that the, the career path I compare it to base playing. Right. It is not the ones I guess the glory right away. But you you're making everything work it, a, a, a good a, a, a monitor that can make or break a gig. You know, what, what happens on the stage reflects on front of house and people don't realize that. Was there a point of, of that you had to, the that you could choose between going front of house or monitor? Do you always want to do monitor? Was it accidental?
2: Um, it's always, it's always my preference. Um, I have done front of house for some tours. Um, I've done it for a lot of festivals and things like that, but I just don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not my thing for one thing. Uh, I'm thankful for people that go to concerts. Uh, I, I love, uh, taking benefit from their, from their money, but, uh, I don't want to uh, be surrounded by a lot of them at once. So I prefer to be on the other side of the barricade. Um, even uh, I always joke that even when I was a production manager, like if I was on, if I was on the public side of the barricade, something was on fire, you know, like literally on fire. Uh, that couldn't be handled with a radio call. I don't like going out there. Um, so I'm not uh, crowd phobic, but um, it's just not, not my thing. Uh, I don't know. I've never enjoyed it. I like the, I like being on stage. I like being close to the band. I like the interaction with the band, Um, And it's like you said, it's like being the bass player. Most people don't realize how important it is until it's gone. You know, a, a guitar player can drop out in a song and you may not even notice. But if the bass stops, everyone's like, what the hell happened? The whole bottom fell out, you know? Um, it's kind of the same thing as a modern engineer. Most people don't know that you even exist, but if you weren't there, it would be drastically different. You know? Even
0: even I, artists that I see that that, that take that step, they play the first gig at a place with a monitor guy and a front of house guy. You can always tell because they're looking at the guy going like, oh, oh. I'm like, no, dude, he's on the side. This yeah. is a whole different level.
2: This is more intimate. Yeah.
0: You, you don't care who that person is out there. <laughs> this is,
2: this yeah. is your guy right here. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been in you know, at least a half dozen shows where the PA went out and the band just keeps going. A lot of times they don't even notice. Um, mm-hmm. But if something happens to me or my mix, it's fire, like the uh, look of death immediately from the band and like they might stop. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. And I, again, it goes back to not wanting to be famous. I don't, I don't, I'm not a person that needs accolades or attaboys or kudos. And I, I'm, content to just stand in the shadow and do my job. Um, so I think you're not, not making fun of, or, uh, talking smack. I mean, I've got lots of front of house jokes, but, uh, in all seriousness, I think that there is some of that like quest for glory, um, for a lot of people that do front Mm -hmm. of house and there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, um, I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a competitor either. You know, I played football, but I didn't have that. Like, that real desire to win i mean even playing board games i'm not like i could really care less you know And i'm a terrible poker player because i could really i I don't i don't care you know i'm just not super competitive and i don't i'm not in search of uh glory or or uh that kind of pride so what's your best
0: uh front of house joke I mean, you say you have plenty. I want to hear one.
2: Uh, Yeah, I'll 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 tell you offline, so we don't offend anybody.
0: Uh, (laughs) Oh, they'll give it back to you at some point. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Nobody's listening to this, Michael.
2: They 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 can't because they're wrong. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) They they always make that joke. Friends don't let friends do monitors. You know. And we're on the good side of the snake. You know. I mean, we're the we're on the side of the snake that's, you know, like 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 you said, bangs. The if if front of house goes out the band will keep playing the show will keep going on you'll figure out something going on if the if monitor world exploded the band's done it's the show's over you know yeah. I mean that's that's the end of it and and my I, I do front of house too and and I enjoy doing front of house it's not that I don't uh but and I'm a little bit different than you but I I prefer to be judged by the Five or six people on the stage because they're the ones that matter. They know what this music's supposed to sound like. They know what good things are. There's hundreds of thousands of people out in the crowd that have zero idea what's going on there. I can make this little tweak that I stand up in front of the house and go, oh, that totally made it. And nobody knows. You know, but yeah. if I do that same thing in Monitor World, one of those guys is going to look over and go, Yeah, that's awesome. You know, like they feel it. They know it. Or, or what the Oh, yeah, do. <laughs> or that too.
2: Yeah. I'll tell you something else that's that's driven me further and further and further into monitors as I've become, you know, more and more exclusive on in-ears and getting away from wedges is that um, the more that you mix in in-ears, in you realize how terrible all PAs sound, even you know, the best line arrays pale in comparison in f- fidelity to what uh, an armature in ear sounds like. Um, if for nothing else, other than the fact that you don't have the, the room and air interaction, you know, Mm -hmm. um, even a perfectly designed system, um, sounds like dog-ass compared to, um, you know, having 12 drivers in each one of my ears and I've got no, no latency, no air interaction, no reflection points. Like, um, and you know, again, joking aside, there are you can't get away with crap in any like if you make a mistake someone's going to hear it um, mm-hmm. in the band not only do they know their music and they know the tonality of their music and so you don't have much leeway to get away with things but the fidelity is so much greater i have so many times that like i've got a noise that i can't deal with and uh, i call out front and the uh, pronounced engineer is like i don't hear it i'm like well put on your damn headphones and crank it up and they're like oh i hear it now it's like that's been buzzing away in your PA system for two hours and you didn't even notice it, you know, because you can't hear crap in, in, a, uh, in a giant speaker system that's blasting through a, an enormous tin can of a room, you know. And another thing for me with um, front of house is I don't like, I really, really don't like flying PA. Um, it's just not my bag. I've never liked doing it. I mean, I've done it a lot. You know, I worked for a massive sound company and, you know, we're all a team. So even if I was doing monitors, I would chip in and help fly PA. Um, I just really don't like doing that. Like, uh, on my tour now, we generally have over 400 boxes of line array in the air. Um, plus all the ground stuff. And I'm really happy that none of that is my problem. Uh, not, not, not one of them. (laughs) is, is my concern. Um, that, I mean, they have 16 hangs, uh, of PA. Um, you know, a lot of times in two levels, they've got the, the lower hang and then the upper hang and they've got flown subs and man, forget all that noise. Um, and I don't have to worry about whether, whether I do a gig, if I'm with a band, if we play a, a corporate for 80 people or we do a stadium for 80,000, my rig is exactly the same and that's a good place to be. You know, I don't have to worry about all this other stuff, you know? Um, so just for me, it's, uh, my, my comfort factor that, um, you know, and I don't, I don't have to push big, heavy stuff. So <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with that. Especially <laughs> as I, as I get old, I used to love loading trucks. Like even when I was a PM, I would, I would be in the truck every morning until my crew got really tired of me being there and kicked me out. But, um, you know, it's a good way to stay in shape, but, um, yeah, if I don't have to, then I'll, I'll pass. So,
1: yeah. So some people out there might not know, uh, your, I guess, resume, Um, so maybe we might want to touch a little bit on who you've worked with in the past, maybe who you're working with now, whatever. Does it really matter? I mean, it, it, it might to somebody who's listening to this, you know, they might be like, who's this dude talking, you know, what is he talking about? What does he know? So maybe throw a couple of names out there just so people have kind of an idea.
2: Uh, Aerosmith, um, Leonard Skinner, Kid Rock, Katy Perry, Nick Jonas. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot. That's probably enough. (laughs) Uh, And I am happy to say that I I work for one of the greatest artists right now, uh, the king of country, George Strait. I'm happy to have that because he's just it's a it's an incredible camp. Uh, He's an awesome man and uh, just love uh, it's it's just like a big family Um, all through the pandemic. We've had a group chat for, you know, for as long as I've worked for that for him um, and, but all through the pandemic, we like, you know, text on the group chat and, you know, how much we miss each other and all that stuff. That's, that's unusual, you know, and we just got the, um, you know, we're looking at going back to work and, and, and things like that. And everybody's so excited. I mean, I feel like, you know, these people are, are like my family, like my, my brothers and sisters, and I haven't seen them in over a year and it just feels really weird. Um, and to me, that's really special, you know, and that comes from the, that comes from the top, you know, you don't, you don't have a a toxic um, star and then have a really great camp underneath them. Cause I've been in lots of toxic camps and the crew is always just as toxic as the star is. And it's, I'm really thankful to be a part of something great. And the, it's unfortunate that artists uh, like George are getting fewer and fewer as, as the great ones Um, you know, the, the other probably greatest person that I ever had the pleasure of working for was Tom Petty. Um, And, you know, we've lost too many people like that tragically. And so it's becoming more and more of a rarity and um, labels and uh, management companies and the nature of fans of music now are not developing and supporting these artists to have these 40 year careers anymore. So you just get this, constant influx of kids that just don't get it you know Um, it's why I'm so thankful to uh, be to have been uh, and still am in in a limited degree part of the whole uh, Billie Eilish experience because she really is a truly special individual and um, could bring some some class and demeanor um, and some longevity back to pop music and it's it's exciting to see you know um, because it takes time in the industry for these people to understand things, like understand the value of your crew um, instead of, you know, the, the common pop thing is just, it's all turn and burn. Like you just get the cheapest person that will, that will claim that they can do the gig and, you know, no one cares about anyone and there's no, there's no bonding. And, the, you know, the, the person that you um, are uh, bunking across from one month is not going to be there the next month. Cause you know, there's just no, there's no loyalty. There's no longevity. There's no, you know, there's none of that stuff that I'm used to. And it's one of the reasons why I started, you know, taking steps away. Um, So it'll be, it'll be really sad when the, when the generation of uh, musicians that have 30 years plus of doing shows um, are all gone. Uh, Thankfully, I'll probably be gone by then too. So, um, but uh, I've, you know, it's, I feel, you know, I don't want to say I feel bad, but, um, because it, it may be better for some people, but I, I think it's unfortunate that um, people coming in the industry now don't get to see a lot of things that I enjoyed so much about my job, um, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, or even five years ago, it's, it's changed so much, um, and again, for some people, it may be for the better. So I'm not, you know, trying to say, you know, back in my day, everything was the best way, but, you know.
0: But it was. Uh,
2: <laughs> well, it <laughs> was, it was different. I that. mean, people, people cared. I mean, maybe some people want to go to work and not get to know their coworkers. Maybe some people just want to go earn their paycheck and go home. I mean, that's not, you know, I'm not trying to judge, but I really enjoyed uh, the 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 bonding and the camaraderie and the sense of family and all that stuff. I mean, being, being on tours is not easy, you know, um, uh, it, it takes a lot of sacrifice. I mean, it's very rewarding as well, but you know, it, it like anything else good on, on this earth or in this life, it, it's got pluses and minuses. Um, and, uh, those, those kinds of things really made made up for the minuses. So if that goes away, I think it'd be really sad.
0: It's funny you mentioned you mentioned Billie Eilish because literally, I think a week ago I was watching some videos of of her. I still haven't seen the the documentary, but but you get the sense of her and her brother just o- owning their craft and how involved both of them are in the production, including her. So from the genesis of a song all the way to the stadium, and and I think that's that translates into just loving the craft and realizing that you have a team that's gonna help you.
2: They are they are to the artists. Next level they are artists in the truest sense Mm -hmm. of the word and at a level that we have not seen in many decades. Mm -hmm. I mean, going back to like, uh, I would, I would consider them to be on par with like, you know, uh, this is going to be controversial, but I don't care because I I know them. Um, And that's back to like the bebop era of jazz where like, you know, um, people just gave everything they had to the music and they were immune to all of the the BS that is now part of the music industry, the, the fame and the fortune and the, the, you know, um, all the scandal and all, all of that stuff, you know? Um, I mean, it's impossible in 2021 to, to be, to escape all that stuff, but the way that the two of them navigate the complexities of being a pop star is so graceful and so, um, encouraging to watch, especially at their age. I mean, when I started working with Billy, she was 15 years old. And like, just that fact alone just blows my mind and her composure and her, you know, state of mind is, is impressed me no end. And it continues to, to grow um, as she just gets more and more like the way that she deals with situations and um, you know, love her music or hate it. Um, you have to respect who both of them are as artists and what they have done and what they've accomplished with no money and no help from a big management or a big producer or a big nothing. They just uh, two young humans in their middle class bedroom in central in Southern California just created this entire phenomenon uh, in that that stuff is unique, you know, and if you care about music and you care about the music industry, that should mean something um, because most music now is contrived and created just like any other product. It goes through marketing meetings and it's brought mm-hmm. to fruition through months and years of planning um, where they, they literally are developing a, a product, much like um, we develop our consoles. Um, where we go through years of, of meetings and you know, we develop marketing strategies and, and all those kinds of things. That's how music is done these days. It was never like that before. And once in a while, someone comes through with some some really genuine art. Um, and you see
0: her on stage, man. You see her in a big arena video and it's like, how is she so comfortable? Uh, it's just like she's, just like she's been doing it her whole life.
2: <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, you know what? It it's, I think it's just that she's comfortable everywhere. You know, yeah. she just one of those people that's lucky enough to not give a F about what anybody thinks about anything, you know, ultimately um,
1: comfortable in her own skin. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. So few people are, are that way, you know, just yeah. in general, not much less yep. artists, you know, Yeah. you just don't see that.
2: Yep. It is, it is really rare human trait. Um, yep. and I think she exemplifies that. And she also, you know, the other thing I was talking with, um, with some engineer friends last week, uh, went on a little engineer retreat with, with some heavy touring folks that, um, you know, obviously have a little time on their hands right now. And, uh, we get in these, you know, hours long conversations, getting to really deep topics. And they were kind of, um, clowning on Billy because you know, a lot of people that don't know her and her brother's story or know anything about her kind of lump her into the same category as every other pop artist. And I kind of had to, um, take a, take a swat at them and do a little, a little, uh, educational process. And then they started to, they started to really appreciate what I was saying after that. Um, you know, but one of the, one of the engineers, um, has two daughters and I was saying that you should, you especially should be very thankful for Billy because most pop stars are atrocious, uh, role models for young women. Um, Whereas Billy is quite the opposite. She refuses to be sexualized. She refuses to be, you know, to even show her body to give someone uh, an attempt or a possibility to body shame her, or, you know, she doesn't do, she just does her own thing, um, you know, and she's a very positive and healthy role model for, for young women and, and men and, and, you know, uh, non-gender binary people and, and everyone, you know? And I think that's, again, is, is something rare that is, um, is important that we don't have enough of. And, you know, music has become such a powerful thing. Um, and I've just watched it be so toxic, um, at, at so many different stages. And so it's, you know, again, nice when somebody does something different.
1: So you touch a little bit, you you said something about the, the consoles that we make. So, uh, you are uh, with Allen and Heath. Uh, you do also work for Allen and Heath as, as do, do you, you know, <laughs> in in a way. So, uh, you know, I, I know that you're the, the D live guy here. So what, what is, what is your gear list look like when you're about to go out on a tour? I mean, I, you know, I assume that you have, you know, these are the requirements. These are the things that I have to have, you know, since we are doing beer and gear, what, what's your gear?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm a pretty straightforward old school mixer. I mean, I, you know, started, I learned on analog. I did a lot of my um, early career and even uh, did a lot of major touring on analog. Um, even though I was kind of known as like the digital guy, I was an early adopter only because I'm curious and nerdy and I also like to eat. So that means I have to keep working. Um, so I, I jumped on it early, but I always kind of have an analog heart. Um, and so my, my rig fairly simple. I use, uh, S 5,000. Um, I use short PSM 1000 in-ears and, um, DNB M2 wedges. And, um, that's, that's about it. You know, um, I'm pretty straightforward. I do have, uh, with George, uh, it's a really big band on a really big stage. Um, and so my sight lines aren't always the best and we play in the square, um i mean we play 360 but the it's it's not in the round it's a it's a square stage turned on diamond um and the band's in the center and george goes around the outside every two songs he moves to a different mic position so um, i always have great sightlines of him but uh other people are challenging so i have my i thought i had one right here but uh it's not in my reach um ip 8 Uh, Mm. remote controls for some of the folks on stage so that they can control their own wedges um, and, or that's,
1: that's a lot to give to a guy. (laughs) You really trust those dudes. (laughs) The
2: the cool thing about the IPA is I can limit their, uh, their travel. Um, Mm. I can set an upper limit and a lower limit if I want to, so that they can't accidentally turn it off. Um, You know, if they slap it down during a solo or something so that it only goes so I, I can, I can keep control over that. But also, I mean, I choose the M2s because they will, they will disintegrate your skull before you run out of um, SPL. So I have never had someone on that wedge tell me it's not loud enough. I mean, usually, like, I can, I can push those, um, those IP8s even without limiting them. I can push them all the way to the top and it won't feed back. I mean, it will rip your skin off, but it won't, it won't feed back. So, and these are not people usually with, um, vocal mics hanging right over their wedge either, you know? So,
1: yeah, there, um, there's the, there's the key. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't have a vocal mic.
2: <laughs> yeah. Not too many singers are still doing wedges because gosh, like just singing on in-ears is like, I just, um, I, I have been for a while, but now that I've been home or I've been doing it more, um, kind of mentoring or assisting um kind of more local and more regional musicians that you know basically just use whatever garbage is at the venue that they're playing and, and don't know um that it could be better and i've been putting people on q packs um with, with in your systems um even doing like if they don't have the budget or the need for wireless I, you know you can get a, a, a p9 hw for a couple hundred bucks and mm-hmm. um some you know, off the shelf, uh, earbuds from not even earbuds, but you can get like on Amazon, you can, or, you know, wherever you can get, uh, something that somewhat resembles in ears for under a hundred dollars. And they may not be the greatest, but it's way better than a wedge, you know, like, and people are like, Oh my gosh, I can actually hear myself. And it doesn't sound like it's two minutes later. And it, you know, it's not all washy and crappy. And like, you know, I'm even showing people, how to um get over the like trapped in a box in-ears thing like even with even in a bar with a Q pack using ambience micing because that's my secret sauce for all monitors and you know whenever i teach monitor classes people are like what's your secret sauce good uh good room micing is the you know how you get people um especially older people that have been on wedges for a long time that's how you get them on in-ears yeah um, is give them give them controlled ambience um because so yeah, they hate I, that
1: disconnect, and that's that's yeah. usually where people are are coming in there. That's the exact same thing I tell anybody getting started on ears. They're like, oh, I feel like I'm disconnected. Are you using ambient mics? No. Okay. Well, there there's your problem.
2: Yep. You know? Yep. I um obviously do a lot of consulting for house of worship as well, and that's always a thing. Oh, the you know the worship pastor doesn't want to be on in ears because they feel disconnected from the congregation and all this stuff. And it's like, bah, all you can put up two microphones, and that problem will go away. A lot of times my, my mix is 50% crowd mics and 50% lead vocal. And the, the people are just super happy. There's like literally nothing else in it. They get all the rest of the band from the front of house bleed and all that stuff, like what they're used to, but it's like a really loud, really clear wedge mix that doesn't change as you run around the room. So it's, you know, it's amazing. Uh, I, I
1: will say I have a I have a love of side fills. You know, I, I was never a, I, I'm never a huge fan of of front wedges because to get what I feel like is a good sweet spot, you can't really move, and it takes multiple wedges, and you have to do all this. There's a lot to it to get everything to sound right in that yeah. one tiny little spot. But side fills, I, I have a giant love of those. We were talking
0: they about are, that last week, actually, Wes and I. Yeah. I'm like yeah. I love side fills. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah side fills are great and if i'm on you know um i can't do it with george i don't really need to anyway because we have i don't know how many hundred subs they have it's Mm -hmm. usually um you know and like most uh you know it was always an issue with with petty you know too much bass on stage with boz skags too much bass on stage they just don't they don't want their whole body to be shaking you know Mm -hmm. whereas billy like there's never enough low end like if we could just strap 18s to like every part of her she would probably be (laughs) super stoked that's Um, awesome so but for side fills i normally only do bottoms like i'll roll them off um, from like 200 and you know and above will be rolled off um what i was doing at the drive-in i always had huge side fills with tops and bottoms but then i had they were rolled off um 200 and up but I had an oh crap key on a soft key on the desk that would open them all the way because Cedric would go into the crowd a lot and come back without his pack and his in-ears. And so I needed to have a, you know, that was like the backup plan um, for him to be able to hear was, was his side fills. I was going to
0: ask you about the drive-in because I know I've heard you mention them before. How, how wild was it to follow them or see that much action on stage especially when you
2: had a- they're so much fun to work with i mean they're they're the greatest guys number one i mean we would all hang out and have beers and you know go to dinner and have barbecues and all that. i mean they're just really really good just solid dudes you know like any other any other friend that you would hang out with they're amazing number one they are super super dedicated to their craft i mean those guys work cedric warms up for two hours before the show Damn. every night I mean, you have to, or you're going to, when you sing like that, if you don't, you're not going to have a voice very long, but um, I mean, they're all, and uh, Omar is obsessive. I mean, the guy is a a genius, but he's, he's obsessive about it. And that those are the, truly the greats, you know, he, he's, he obsesses about every note and, you know, every part of an arrangement of a song and, you know, every beat in the timing and all of those things Um, they're all just um, exceptional artists. So it was, it was incredible to be with them and to share oxygen with them. Um, and then, you know, uh, if you never got to see them on stage, I'm sorry because holy crap, what a show. I mean, Cedric is uh, – he's nuts. It's crazy because offstage he's like a super chill, super sweet guy, but you unleash him in front of a crowd, and you never know what the hell that guy's going to do.
0: I never got uh, to see them, but I did see him with uh... – Mars Volta and I remember being like I've never seen somebody like that on a stage. Yeah. He's flying. Yeah.
2: everywhere. Yeah. He's he's wild in Mars Volta but because of the the nature of at the drive-in and because it was when they were when they were younger. younger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's even it's even more crazy. I mean, he walks out on stage super calm at the top of the show. As soon as the first beat comes in, it's like he's having a seizure for the next 90 minutes. I mean, like literally looks like he's just <laughs> like, like uh, if you haven't seen them, pull up YouTube videos. Oh, I, yeah. Of Cedric Bixler. I, well, I'm talking for anyone that sees yeah, yeah. this. Like, um, you may think the music is noise. Just mute the just mute the music, but watch him perform. Like mm-hmm. he's he's literally in a trance. Um, it's so funny because uh, we have to we have to baby proof everything on stage because nothing is safe. Like he if he can smash it, he will. If he can if he can pick it up and throw it, he will. But we couldn't have any lights or anything really along the downstage edge. Cause it would get hurled. <laughs> um, there's a really great photo that you can find uh, on the web from a festival in Europe where um, we told the festival lighting department that they needed to take these um, Mac two case um, off the downstage edge. And they're like, now nah, we're not doing it. I was like, okay. Uh, we had all these, you know, like told them many times we're not moving them. Okay. Well we're not responsible for what happens to them second song i think uh he picks up this 2k and just launches it off the front of the stage and some photographer in the pit caught this amazing picture of cedric and then a mac 2k and then like four inches of air between the light and his hand wow as the as it was leaving and that's you know if you've moved light, the 2k is not that's, that's a traditional fixture of spot it's <laughs> yeah. not light
0: yeah but he's like
2: superman on stage he'll pick up an 810 base cabinet and move it across the stage i mean the yeah, and he's, he's not a, he's not a big dude either. He's like, no, he's not. He's, yeah, no, he's not.
0: Yeah. I so. always remember hearing Omar talking about how he didn't want to be a guitar player, but he wanted to be like Eddie Palmieri, who's a famous salsa and Latin jazz piano player. right? really intricate guy. And it was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. He's emulating that. He's not trying to emulate a guitar
2: player. <laughs> yeah, both of them, you know, they play this kind of um, avant-garde, aggressive music. Um, but both of them are encyclopedias of every kind of music. You know, yeah. they, they, they know and appreciate, um, kind of like someone else that I really admire Questlove. you know, who people kind of, uh, want to rat hole him as just this hip hop guy. Who awesome. nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody knows more about music than Questlove. And if you go see the roots play, I mean, they'll, they'll go from, they'll go from an old jazz tune to a Led Zeppelin song into like an acid punk song and then to like Daft Punk. And then back to, uh you know,
0: Guns and Roses, I heard. Yeah,
2: in one song. And it's like, man, these guys and make it sound amazing. You know, they I, just I, have I, I've, so I've been much in knowledge. I've been to his DJ
0: sets a couple of times and you're like, I oh, he's people. the best. DJ. I It's just like, dude, he's going to school you for the first 30 minutes is going to be superficial. And then at some point. The B sides start coming and then all of a sudden you're like, What's happening? Where is it taking me right now?
2: <laughs> yeah, he he's the best DJ I've ever heard. Also the nicest dude. I mean, um, you can you can totally walk right up to him and just say, How's your day, Quest? And he will shake your hand and talk to you for an hour if he has time, you know. He like,
0: introduced himself to me, he said, Amir. I'm, I'm like, No, I know who you are, dude. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows who you are, dude. But yeah, that's because <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's just, a, he's just a sweetheart, you know, Yeah. That it's i uh, I'm thankful that those people exist in music and I hope more of them continue to come out of the woodwork. So anyway, so back to your question. My, my rig is very simple. I don't, I don't have any outboard gear. I don't use any waves. I got a D live. I got in-ear transmitters. I've got um, my, my amps and wedges and yeah. um, the, the most, Fancy Pants thing that I have is my IP8s. Um, and man, the band absolutely loves those things. They don't even know what they're called. Um, they call them my thingamajig. But, um, they, well,
1: you're you're probably dealing with a, a level of musician in that band that has been around for a while and really is on top of their game, but they don't have to know the gear side of it. They never have had to. They have their gear that they probably know really well.
2: They do. Your side they, is no they tech their own gear
1: oh that's the way to go for real that's that's <laughs> like
2: i had never seen that before um but that's how country is done apparently mm-hmm. right? yeah um and i, I think it's awesome because they they do know all their stuff you know and we have we have excellent guitar techs uh, that you know do string changes and and stuff like that and and do changes during the show and obviously look after george but um uh, everyone on that stage knows their own setup you know, um, which is, is, I'd never seen anything like that before. Cause in pop music, you don't touch anything unless you're in front of the crowd, you know, like you're only, you're only touching your, your instruments when you're playing them in, you know, in front of paying customers.
1: It always surprised me as a, a gear nerd, you know, and a guitar player uh, that they, people didn't know, like I, I would, when I was setting people up and, you know, when I'm doing a club gig or whatever, when I worked at House of Blues or whatever, people would come in and be like, I'd be like, okay, which one of these speakers sounds the best on there? And they're like, I don't know. You know, I, I have no idea which speaker, if, if all of those work, I don't know what speakers yeah. are in there. I don't know you know i mean they just they literally they they use this tool to make a living and they have yeah. no idea what it is you know i mean that's just mind-boggling to me that people can do that so yeah. i mean maybe it's just me i don't know
0: but, but you know what? what those people can go to sleep after the gig and don't have do not they're not thinking about like man i gotta change my tuning pegs on my bass <laughs> you
2: know maybe. what i mean They
0: sleep because i've night. lost that's sleep right. over I need different foam on my bridge right now. <laughs> you
2: know, like I got to I got to send you guys this. Um, uh, a friend of mine sent me this. Uh, it's probably I'm not on social media at all. So I don't know when something's viral or going around or whatever. Um, but something went b-
0: viral since it started, by the way, um, everywhere right now. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. But it's just uh, <laughs> it's a it's a nerd joke. I'm not going to waste the time going through it all. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, the 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 people in george's band have all been playing music i would say it's safe to say that they've all been playing at least 50 years um but what's even more unique is that they play they've been playing together as a unit for 35 wow so That's you impressive. think they're tight like i mean it's it's crazy um we're actually gonna go and do some rehearsal
0: I was going to ask you, do they still rehearse or <laughs> have a school the, of just normally
2: they do without George, um, for a couple of days before we go out. Um, but I never get to go. Um, I don't even get to go to load in, um, you know, which most people would think was great, but I'm not, I'm not born to be a white Glover. Um, it's very still after a couple of years is still very foreign to me to walk into a venue and everything's built and my entire monitor world is built and my RF frequencies are all tuned and everything's patched and, you know, and I'm thankful for it. We, I've got, I've got great text and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's awesome, but it's still really weird to me. Um, so I'm looking forward to the, I'm actually, um, uh, Paul let me know that I'm actually coming in for a week of rehearsal. So I'm, I'm really happy with that. And I'll be, uh, I'll be by your house, Felix. So, um, so we're doing it somewhere in Austin.
0: Ooh, okay, nice. So. Ooh. <laughs> <If> you- <laughs> I missed it last time. see the gears turn in there. Ooh. Really? Whoa. <laughs> I-, I missed right. it last time, man. You you were here in town.
2: Well, yeah, if you want to come down, I mean, uh, it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, you, you know, it's closed door. Like no one can be there. You know, George is so mellow. Like, you know, um, everyone's super cool. So yeah, if you want to come down and check it out, it's a, I would it's bet
1: a- watching that band rehearse would be pretty cool too. You know, like it's
2: there's, there's no monkey business. There's no wasted time. There's no, it's like, let's just get this done and go to catering. I mean, it's, it's
1: <laughs> the best part of the gig.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's super pro. But it's really they've been doing uh, again. This is something. This is my first country band, um, and I guess I I got I got lucky to uh, to get this one as my first and only country yeah, band.
1: that's a nice level there to start at. You know. Yeah.
2: So the the country band culture is very very different than the pop uh, culture that I came up with. You know, and the you know obviously the the text thing and all of that. But also the way that they do sound check, I, they've been doing it the same way for over thirty years. Um, so you know, I, I'm not one to rock the boat, but it's it's really interesting. Um, Paul, the production manager, um, he comes comes by my desk. I hand him a wireless handheld, um, which is a uh, an A X D with a 58 capsule on it for the little shore plug for you there, and. Nice. Uh, and he goes up on stage with the wireless and he stands in the middle and he's like okay kick drum please and uh they play the kick drum and um and he turns around and if somebody needs anything uh, it's just uh mikey needs more kick please a little more kick for Mikey. (laughs) then i'll turn (laughs) the kick drum up for mikey and then like we go around we go through every most of it's for um for front of house you know i don't really usually do much um, but I record all of that. Um, I multi-track all of that. Um, and then when we've gotten through every instrument, Paul will call out a song. It's usually uh, Blue Clear Sky. We play first and they'll rip through that. And then um, if that goes well, anybody else got anything they need to work on? Okay. And then that's it. We go to catering. We have lunch. And then we come back uh, after lunch uh, when George gets in. And then um, George comes up. We do you know, one, two, three, four songs. However, you know, until until he's happy and the the band's happy, and then you know, I usually go take a nap after that. So. <laughs> nice,
1: yeah. I did uh, I did a stint at a uh, at a Texas country place with a lot of the those kind of bands, uh, and it was uh, it's definitely different. You know, they're uh, they do. You were talking about that family thing, you know, yeah. and they they have that in a big way. They're uh, even at that, you know, upper, you know, level of, of touring, you know, when those guys start getting big, they still, it's the same guys all the time, same front of house, dude, same monitor guys, same, same tech. And they all kind of tech each other's stuff. And like you said, what you were just describing, I I have seen on small stages to enormous stages. That's exactly how they sound check all the time. Somebody stands out there and runs the thing and, oh, you need more of this. Okay. A little bit more over here. You know, they run it and then, you know. You run a song and you're done.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, I could imagine that being normal in a you know in a honky tonk, mm-hmm. but doing it on the floor of a football stadium when we've sold eighty five thousand tickets for the evening, it's a little different. You know, I'm just like true. Okay, but it, it works. You know, yeah. it totally works. Um, and who am I to complain? It, I mean, it's a it's a great system. Um, so I I multitrack every sound check and then. Um, you know, when they're coming off stage, I check in with everyone and I introduce them to a uh, virtual sound check and their heads exploded. Like they thought I was a wizard or something, you know, cause my mindset is that, you know, if you're having a problem with your mix, um, we're not going to deal with it. Um, while everyone's up there, uh, certainly not if the boss is up there, you know, just hang tight. Um, and when we're done, come on down and, uh, you know, I'll put everyone, I'll put the rest of the band in, in VSC and then, uh, leave your guitar or whatever it is live. And then we can work through it and figure out, and then I can go back. Okay. So you heard it on the second verse of this. Okay. I can cue up that exact part and I can loop that part and we can figure out. And then sometimes I'll even just step aside and be like, here you go. Here's your mix, you know? And so you know they they know what they want to hear, so they'd be like, "Oh, a little more no, a little less oh no, okay, that's it, cool, perfect, and I just save it, and then you know they they love that stuff.
0: You let the musicians touch the mixer, yeah,
2: <laughs> customers ser- <laughs> that that's the that's the big thing, Felix that that people don't realize, and it's the first thing that that I talk about when I teach classes in monitors um is that we're in a customer service position mm-hmm. so that mix and this console doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my band. Um, what, what I hear, what I think is completely irrelevant. So if there's a quicker way to make them happy and get them more of what they want, I don't, I don't care. You know, um, they can do whatever they want to, uh, to their mix. And even if they bump something, I've got everything saved. I can recall it anyway. So yeah, I've just found it's a really, it's an empowering thing for them too. And, you know the most important thing about doing monitors is developing a relationship with the musicians. They have, Mm -hmm. you have to, you have to have this all important trust relationship. I don't care how smart you are on the gear or how good of ears you think you have. It's all irrelevant. If the band doesn't trust you or if the band doesn't like you, you got to have both of those things um, in a strong way. Cause even the best mix sounds like crap. If they think you're a dick, you know, um, it, it doesn't matter. And you can get away with an awful night if they love you. Um, so it, it goes both ways. Those, those things are super important and just keeping that, that humility and that, um, that trust relationship is, is um, the, the most important thing.
0: And, and I think, man, that's yeah. uh, again, as we approach the ending of this, um, I, that's one of the things that I admire about you. And I've heard you talk about this in other meetings and it's, um, we're all musicians at heart and, and there's a spirituality whether you're into spiritual stuff or not there's definitely a bigger energy conversation when it comes to music and and you nailed that and, and it seems like it, it, you treat it as a craft and you become part of the band and like, like you said it, it's service but it's also um, it's beautiful to hear that that people are that committed to it And and, and I think that's what makes you one of the greatest i know you don't care about accolades or whatever but that's what we're saying right <laughs> now
2: i'm just happy to be a part of it and i am so lucky to get to do something that i love every day like you know when i answer phone calls from people you know with questions on the console and things like that they're like oh man thank you so much for picking up the phone it's like i enjoyed talking to you like you know like doing this <laughs> i could there's not many things that i would rather do than sit around and talk about you know audio and um nerd out on consoles and you you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I have, I have a, a child that people really want to play with and, you know, I can tell them all about my kid all the time. And this, this, <laughs> this is my kid back here. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have any humans in my life. This, this is, this is it right here. Um, so, uh, you know, I get phone calls all day long about, you know, how do I do And it's, I'm, I feel like some days that they're doing me a favor. So it's, you know, people are always thankful. Um, I went and did a, um, a service call for a, a, a big mega church this morning and they were so thankful and they, they gave me a thank you card and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is just, it's so cool to me that, um that I get to, you know, that all of us get to do something that we love and uh mm-hmm. someone's crazy enough to pay us for it. You know, not that you can stop paying me for it, but um, you know,
0: it's not- <laughs> and that we can drink while we do it.
2: Yeah. yeah right sure. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. I, I don't, I don't do it now, but there was a long stretch in my career where I had um, my own cooler with my own writer in it that had to be at my desk before the show started. Um, now my, um, and I, we, we still have that. I mean, I get whatever I want and we have a, we have a stage left cooler. Um, That's uh, uh, Mike, our stage manager runs for us. And we always have, Cheetos and a bunch of other fun stuff um, over on stage left, whatever we want. But um, I drink uh, sparkling water until the encore break, and when George goes off um, to go, you know, for the encore break, I take that, uh, you know, two or three minutes or whatever, and and crack my first beer of the night. And that's always it's just like a it's like a reward. It's like the the best part of the night when I get to freaking hear that, you know, and like have that yeah never
1: drink until the last song that's <laughs> that was always my deal never drink oh, i until do it usually
2: song. the third yeah i do it at encore break so there's usually depending on what kind of mood he's in there's usually two or three more songs but you know ah. that's enough and his songs are short anyway i mean they're i don't i don't know that many have his songs break three minutes you know so uh, that's what's crazy when you look at our set list it's like there's like 40 songs on the set list. <laughs> it's an and that's half. not even that's not even all the number one hits you know it's like you can't
1: can't play uh, all the number one hits from him, right?
2: No, he can't. He's got over 60. So
1: that's insane.
2: Uh, yeah. More than any artist. I still like, it still freaks me out that because I didn't believe it. I had to look it up when someone told me that the more number one hits than any artist in any genre in the history of music, more than Michael Jackson, more than Elvis. Oh, really? More than. Yep. That's,
1: that's so crazy. It wow. is. It's
2: wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we did talk is, a lot about gear. So sorry. Well, if you
1: know what, man, this is, that's, you know, th- this is what we do here. This, this thing is specifically, uh, and we talked about this before and I've told everybody before they do this thing, I want this to be like, we went to a bar and we're hanging out having some beers and just talking about our day, you know, like yeah. what we do. So, you know, sometimes it's a lot of gear and sometimes it's a little more philosophical. So yeah. they're both cool. Well,
2: I'm thankful for it. Cause I, I miss you both, man. I, we haven't had a beer in uh, over a year. So yeah, it's crazy. Thanks for giving me the opportunity.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. It was great. Thank time. you, Michael.